0: We're starting a new series and we're talking about the enemy and some of the lies he tells us. There is an enemy out there. There is a spiritual dimension to life. We believe that life is not just the physical. There is a spiritual dimension. We also believe there are good and evil spirits out there. The Bible's very clear about that. So we're going to talk about some of the lies. And here's what I found for my own life. Maybe you're different. That the enemy lies to me and I believe him. And sometimes I feel like a real schmuck because I keep believing the same dumb lie that he tells me. So we want to look at some of the more common lies that the enemy tells us that we believe. The lie we're going to look at this weekend is, that is, is pretty simple. It says you cannot trust God. Don't trust His Word. Don't trust His goodness. You can't trust God. You can't trust Him. Now, we're going to look at uh, this... In, and we're to look at the, if you want to turn there, in, in the chair Bible, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, I'll have the verses up on the screen. But it's the temptation of Jesus. But what I want to do first is I want to give you a 101, just a real quick summary of Satan, of what what the Bible teaches. It's not going to be all inclusive. I'm not going to give you chapter and verse. I'm just going to tell you some basic things so you understand kind of what we're dealing with. Number one, he is a created Angel who rebelled against God and in his rebellion. He took many a number of angels with him in his rebellion So they became demons they're anti-God. They're against God They believe in God's existence, but they're they're against God Okay now we don't know when this rebellion took place It seems as though it probably took place before Adam and Eve were were placed in the garden It just makes sense because then in chapter 3 of Genesis there's the enemy tempting Adam and Eve right number two he's not omnipresent he's not everywhere at the same time God is omnipresent he's everywhere he's not everything he's everywhere he's everywhere in and out of time uh, so he's not omnipresent he's not omnipotent He's, and that means he's not all powerful. Some people think that God and Satan are in some type of wrestling match, and hopefully God's going to win the last, the last fall. You know, no, 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 that's not it. He's God created Satan. Satan rebelled against God, and he fell. He is a created fallen angel. He doesn't know your thoughts, and he can't put thoughts in your head. Um, he is powerful, but he's defeated. Now I want to just stop for a minute and explain that. We're living in a world right now where we're between the first and second coming of Jesus. During World War II, we know that when they took the beach, beaches of Normandy in France, we call that D-Day. It was a decisive victory. It, it really was the day that we said we're going to. The war is going to win. Hitler and, and his armies are going to be defeated. We, it was just. But here's what happened. It took almost a year before V-Day. And what happened in that year was the German army began to backtrack. But they didn't go without a fight. They did destruction. They continued to kill. They took prisoners. They, they stole art. All these things were being done. Just terrible things were being done for that year period. It was on V-Day that they were. it was over. It was done. There was no more killing. There was no more dying. It was over. And what I want you to see is this. That we're living right now between his first coming, which is D-Day, because when Jesus says it is finished, he basically said, sin, death, and the devil are defeated forever. But it seems like he still has a little bit of power, doesn't it? That's because he's falling back but one day, the book of Revelation tells us that Jesus is going to come as King of kings and Lord of lords. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And Satan and the demons will be cast into the lake of fire forever. That day hasn't come. So we're living in a time where he is doing his very best to reap havoc and destroy and divide, discourage. That's what he's about. So he is a, he's defeated, <laughs> uh, but he is not done yet. He's a commander of a vast army that's set against God and his faithful followers. And the goal that he wants to do is he wants to discourage us. He wants to divide us. He wants to just wreak whatever havoc he can. The the way I likened it, it's like he's trying to take uh, followers of Jesus Christ and put their face in the mud in front of God and say, look what I can do in any way that he wants. Now, this weekend we're going to learn from Jesus And so I want to begin by reading uh, from Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and this is on page 735 of the chair Bible, this Bible right here in your chair. And this is what it says. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. He fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, the, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now it's interesting, if you go back to the baptism of Jesus in chapter 3, in fact, if you go to verse 17, which is the last, the last verse of chapter 3, what does God say about Jesus? At his baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And what's the temptation of Satan? Are you really the Son of God? Really? Are you really the Son of God? So clearly this is the challenge to the Father's baptismal declaration about Jesus. In other words, Satan is challenging God's Word. And he always does that. He's done it from the beginning. He said to, to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Did God really say you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden? Did God really say that? So what's the temptation here? God says to Or Satan says to Jesus, Oh, if you are the Son of God, essentially Satan is is calling to question God's word. He's saying, Really? Are you really the Son of God? You know, are you really this dearly loved son? If you're so dearly loved by the Father, how in the world why in the world are you starving right now? Why are you struggling? Why would a loving father put his son through all of this? Why would he allow you to experience hardship and hunger. If God is truly good, He wouldn't allow you. You wouldn't need to go through all of this. Go ahead. Demonstrate your power and position. Feed yourself. It's, it'll be okay. Take care of yourself. You know. Have you noticed that Satan uses that lie with us quite often? God, if you love me, why... Why am I having to go through this experience? Uh, if God loves you, then why are you struggling with your finances, your health, your relationships? If God truly is good, why should we need to suffer? Jesus, why are you suffering right now if God is truly good? Why would the Father treat his son or daughter this way? And see, here's the point. The, the, the principle here is that God or Satan wants you to question God's goodness in His Word. You can't be trusted. And it's similar to what he told Adam and Eve in the garden. And if you want to turn back to Genesis 3 just for a minute, keep your finger in Matthew uh, 4. This is page 4 of the chair Bible. This is Eve talking uh, because Satan has called to question God's word and God's goodness, and he said, Really? Did God really say that? And Eve said this, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden. The woman replied, It's only uh, the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. And God said, You must not even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's holding back on you. He's not good. Are you kidding me? Let me let me just make a couple of observations. God never said He couldn't touch it, and and this is what we do generally. Sometimes good, well-meaning Christians do that. They they see they see uh, something that God does say, and then they put a fence further than that. So, in other words, let me give you a perfect example, a a clear example. In, In in the Gospel of John, it says that Jesus went to a wedding, and they ran out of wine, and Jesus turned water into wine. There are some Christians that say it's a sin to drink, okay? Now, alcoholism is rampant in our country, and I think you really, as individuals, really need to think seriously about drinking, period, okay? But that's a side issue. Jesus turned water into wine, and it was good wine. It was fermented wine. You could get drunk on this wine, okay? Okay? Now, some people would say it wasn't wine, it was grape juice. And Christians should not. See, the Bible says do not be drunk. It doesn't say do not drink. It says be not drunk. But we put a fence further and we say, no, it's better to not drink at all. Do not drink. So that's what the Word of God, the Word of God never does says that. If, if it does, then Jesus kind of violated the Word, right? The point is this, when we, when we take the Word of God further than it needs to go and we add offense, what we're doing there is we're, we're just creating legalism. Many people reject Christianity, and they're not rejecting Christianity. They're not even rejecting the Word of God. They're rejecting man-made rules that go further, which is exactly what the Pharisees did. The, the last couple of verses in the book of Revelation says, The first part says you're blessed if you read through this book. You will be blessed. But if you add to these words or you subtract, you're cursed. So we need to be very careful that we don't play around with God's word. So that's the first thing. Satan told the truth, but he also mixed it with a lie. He says you won't die. He was right, too, because after all, they ate it and they didn't die. They were still alive. And so they seemingly, he was telling a lie. What he didn't tell them was this. The moment you eat that apple, you will physically begin to die. And not only that, spiritually, you're dead. You just died spiritually. You just don't know it. And what's the first thing that that Adam and Eve did after they ate the apple? They hid from God. Spiritually, that relationship was over. And God said, it's done. You're out of the garden. You're gone. You're done. You'll never come back here again. Now, Satan never told him the consequence. He never tells you the consequence. He just says you won't die. There's A little bit of truth to that. But essentially, the argument or the, uh, the his argument is God's holding out, and you can't trust Him. This is the, really the core of all of his lies. There's some interesting parallels between Jesus and Adam and Eve, and, and Jesus is ultimately re. re playing out the temptation of Adam and Eve. Jesus is doing the same thing. There's some interesting parallels. Adam and Eve were in a perfect environment. God looked at the environment and says, it's good, it's really good. Jesus was what? He was in a harsh wilderness, wasn't he? Uh, Adam and Eve had every food except for one tree. Everything except for one tree. Jesus had fasted for 40 days. He was starving. Adam and Eve had each other. I don't know if that's good or not. <laughs> that's still debatable, but it's true. Jesus had no one. He was alone with the enemy. Adam and Eve failed the test. Jesus passed the test. Adam and Eve looked out for themselves. And that's what, t- that's what his temptation always is. You're not getting what you deserve. And Jesus, thank God, Jesus looked out for us. Adam and Eve plunged the world into sin. Jesus saved the world from sin. So that so the, they failed. Jesus surpassed the test. But notice Jesus answers Satan with God's word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And see, what's going on here is Satan wants you to, to not trust God's Word. And we have God's Word here. We have the Bible. It's God's Word. And, and Satan wants you to, to not trust God's Word and not trust God's goodness. And he essentially is dry, wants to drive you a wedge between you and God's Word. What Jesus says is, no, 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 no. This is my lifeline. yes. Yes. <laughs> Certainly, I need physical food for my life, but I need spiritual food. And the enemy wants to tell you this. He wants to say, you do not need any spiritual food. You can live without it. The world basically says, anybody that reads the Bible, anybody that reads and reflects the Bible on a regular basis is a nut. Is it's is kind of a fanatic. It's just over... And, and that's the lie of the enemy basically saying, you don't need to eat. Listen, how, how long would you go with it? Most of us would... After about a few hours, we'd go, I'm starving. No, you're not. Not really. But we can go without the Word of God. See, the enemy doesn't want us in the Word of God. The enemy wants us to think we can live without it. We don't need it. We can't trust it. And that's, that is so alive in, in our pop culture today. But Jesus says this, you're dead without it. I'm dead without it. If he was dead without it, if Jesus, when he walked on this earth, was dead without it, how much more we, right? Now, there's also a parallel between Jesus and the nation of Israel. the nation of Israel was, uh, as they came out of, as I said, they came out of Egypt and they were led by Moses through the wilderness and they were tested in the wilderness. One of the first tests they had in the wilderness was, what are we going to drink? What are we going to eat? Will I trust God to provide? Well, they kind of started to complain. God provided manna, right? And and so they kind of failed that test. Jesus starving basically said, I'll look to my Father. He'll not only will I connect to him spiritually, because that's where the real food is, but I will wait for him to provide for me physically. And it says after this temptation, the angels ministered to him, took care of. Him. He waited. Second temptation is If you're the son of God, go ahead and jump. Takes him up on some building or mountain, and he says, look down. He says, jump. He says, because if you jump, if you truly are God's son, he'll send angels and he'll protect you. Let's see how much God really does love you. That's your claim, isn't it? So Satan is speaking, and he always does, with a forked tongue. He's always mixing the truth with error. He mixes the truth with lies, and he gains credibility by doing that. He sounds right, but then there's this part that he's not telling you, right? Right? And he likes to take the Scripture out of context. And by the way, many of the cults do that. They'll take the Scripture, and they'll take it out of context. Maybe you heard the story about the guy. It's an old joke. He one day decided, I need to hear God's Word. I need to have a Word from God. So he flipped the Bible open, he put his finger down, he read the verse with his finger, and it said, and Judas went out and hung himself. He says, I can't stop there. So he closed his Bible up. He flipped it open again. And he said, uh, it, 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 it said, uh, goest and do likewise. <laughs> Shut it up. He says, all right. <laughs> this is the third time's a charm. And the third verse said, what thou doest, doest quickly. <laughs> now, those are all verses in the King James Bible. So you can take the Bible and make it say whatever you want. And that's what the enemy does. The enemy will take a portion of the truth. Cults will do that. They'll take a portion of the truth, but they don't take the Bible in totality. They don't interpret the Bible with the Scripture. Now, is purity, is that really that important? Is it important that we take the Bible in context and we understand the context of what is being said and we read it in context and we don't take a verse and just yank a verse out of its context and do that? Well, let me just ask you a question. The next time you sit down and a a nurse is ready to give you an injection and she says, I think I've used this needle a few times, but it'll probably be okay. How do you feel about that? Or let's say this. Let's say you're just about ready to go under, and the anesthesiologist hasn't quite got the mixture right. I don't know if that's technically the right terminology. Go with me here, all right? And right before you go out, the the doctor says, Did we clean the scalpel? or you're going to go out after this service and you're going to go to a burger joint and you're going to sit down and take get ready to take a big bite and right before you take that big bite the waitress says to you there may be one or two rants and bites in that burger does that make a difference yeah kind of does well, how do you prevent it? You interpret Scripture with Scripture. Now, the parallel here is, is interesting because what is happening in the, with the nation of Israel out in the wilderness is they're testing God over and over and over. They're calling God's goodness. We should go back to Egypt. Why did God bring us out here? And it's, it's, it gets to a point where God basically says, okay, that's it. Let's just destroy the nation. I'm done with them. I'm over them. And Moses says, no, no, no. And I don't remember if it was Moses or God first, but uh, they do it. And and one time they they, they come to that point and Moses just says, I've had it, I'm done. And God says, no, 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 hang in there. And the next time God is, I'm done. (laughs) Moses, no, hang in there, please. And you're thinking, I'm glad they both weren't on the same page the, the same day because that could have been it, right? But they were being tested over and over and over. Will you trust God? Will you rely upon him? they failed miserably time after time and time. And what does Jesus do? The enemy is saying, don't trust God and God. Jesus, he's the only one I can trust. He obeyed the Father in every way. Now, some Christians think it's spiritual to test God. They think there's a higher level of spirituality. So they'll say things like, um, I have enough faith that I'm going to believe that God is going to heal me. I'm not going to go to a doctor. I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm just going to believe that God, is, I'm not going to even reveal that I'm really sick. But I'm going to believe that God's going to heal me. Well, good for you, because you're going to be in heaven before you know it. And, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, but that's, to me, testing God. And Jesus says something to Christians who have that view. Don't test God. That's not faith. It's not faith. Here's the third one. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I'll give it all to you, he said, if you'll kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the Scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. So essentially what he's saying is, I'll give it all to you. Now the question is, could he give it all to you? Well, he has a certain amount of power and he certainly could give him certain things. But it's interesting here. um, He's trying to get Jesus to dump the mission that he came on. Why did Jesus come? Well, his name says he will save his people from their sins. He came to serve. Serve and to give his life, a ransom for many. That's his mission. So the enemy is trying to get him to not keep his mission. And if he doesn't keep his mission, then we're still in our sins and we're lost. Paul basically essentially says that if, if the mission is lost, we are lost. But Jesus keeps the mission. Now, the interesting parallel is the nation of Israel is brought to a place where they come to the edge of the land. They're brought to the promised land that God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you land. And now Moses has led them to the, the, the right To the edge of the land, and they're ready to take the land. And so now they have a test. Will they go in and take the land that God promised them? God says, I will give you this land, just go in and take it. They failed the test, and that generation passed. Jesus now is being offered by the enemy land. So the question is is he going to trust his Father in heaven? Or is he going to listen to this enemy and fall for that short term power, whatever it is, that he's tempting him? If you give, if I'll give you what your father won't, essentially, he really doesn't love you. If you bow down to me, I'll give you everything you could ever want. Well, obviously, that's mixed with a lie, again. And that's the, the the brag of temptation. It it all and this this is something I heard a number of years ago, and it's so true. It always promises more than it can deliver. It costs you more than you intended to pay. It takes you further than you wanted to go, it keeps you longer than you wanted to stay, and it leaves you bruised and broken. Always. And here's another thing that I found. When the enemy tempts you to, to, to go against God, to just turn your back on God. And, and uh, here's the other thing. I f- f- figured this out. Maybe you said, duh, you, you should have known that. I mean, you're a pastor. Aren't you smarter than that? No, I'm not. But that's Okay, I realize that every temptation is about me. It's always about me. But Jesus took the temptation where where, where where Satan tried to say, Jesus, why don't you serve yourself? Why don't you take care of yourself? Why don't you look after yourself? And every time Jesus said, no, I'm on a mission for you. I'm on a mission for you. It's not about me. It's about you. So So temptation is always about me. I figured that out. And... Um, When Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus talked of His Father in glory. And He defeated the tempter because He saw Himself as part of the Father's plan and our salvation. And if Jesus had failed to take the offer, if He had failed in the wilderness... Like Adam and Eve had failed, like the nation of Israel failed, if he had failed, we would be dead. We have no Savior because we needed somebody who, who would come and take away our sins, somebody who kept the law perfectly, somebody who knew no sin, somebody who is tempted like us but yet without sin. His name is Jesus. Jesus ends his time of temptation by quoting the Shaman. I want to read you that passage of Scripture. It's Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6, and it's basically was all Jewish families know the Shema inside and out. It's their creed. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I give you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are home and when you are on the road and when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So what do you do when the enemy comes? Because the enemy will come. And and by the way, Satan is not dealing with anyone in this room. There's a small, you're all minnows. Or smaller, okay? Now, I know you want to feel like you're a big fish, but you're, you're just minnows. Satan has got his work. He's in one place working in one situation. And it's probably not with anyone here, but he does have demons. But when the enemy comes, he can't read your mind and he can't put thoughts in your head. But he there are temptations that can be brought before you. And so, what do you do? You do the same thing, Jesus. You say, You know, it's not about me, it's about Him. It's about the cross. We go to the cross, and we remember what did Jesus do when He went to the cross? What did He do? He proved to us that the God, the Father, is trustworthy. That he always had a plan since the fall of Adam and Eve. And that plan meant that his son would have to come, would have to die and give his life as a ransom for many. And he did it. God sent his best son and Jesus willingly came and gave his life for us. Can God be trusted to keep his word? Absolutely. Is God loving? Just look to the cross. That's the first lie. Don't trust God because he can't be trusted and he doesn't love you. And Jesus on the cross says, Oh, yeah, he can be trusted, and he does love you. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. And, Father, what an incredible passage of Scripture. Um, Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he passed the test, the tough test in the the wilderness, that he um, showed us not only that the Father can be trusted, But the Father loves us to the point that He would give His only begotten Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that Jesus on the cross willingly gave His life. No one took it from Him. He gave His life for us. He became the Lamb that takes away our sin. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. Thank you.